Welcome, this is Coppercast, a brand new show dedicated to exploring the wonderful, if somewhat technical world of institutional investment in crypto assets. I'm your host, Tyler Kenyon. Our guest today is Piers Ridgard, the CEO of Radix DLT. Piers grew up in Cornwall and attended university in Manchester, originally to study aerospace engineering, but soon switching to business and Chinese in an attempt to be more creative and fan the flame of his entrepreneurial spirit. He quickly passed his CFA exams and took a contract with JP Morgan before deciding he actually also wanted to study the law and got a job at Linklater's, a multinational law firm headquartered here in London. Around this time, he also launched a consumer electronics project, which got backing from none other than Steve Wozniacki, the co-founder of Apple. The business was good, so he expanded his production line into China, making good use of his earlier studies. And I say earlier, but he did this all by the age of 21. Then he got into crypto when a friend asked him to look into the crowd sale of Ethereum. Piers regretfully told him to steer clear of it. But thankfully, since 2014, he's had a chance to rethink his stance and now leads a layer one protocol that is set to light the DeFi world on fire. Welcome, Piers. Thank you very much for having me. In your show and tell segment, which if you haven't seen, please go to the Coppercast YouTube uh, or see it on our social channels. You talk about the total value locked in DeFi at the moment and why DeFi is broken. But before we even get into that, perhaps you could give us a primer on what DeFi is. Sure. So DeFi stands for decentralized finance. Uh, and it's a sort of like an amorphous term because like everyone says DeFi something else. Some people are like Bitcoin's DeFi. Mm-hmm. And it sort of, sort of is, right? It's the first building blocks of finance is money or a, uh, a asset representation of value that can be transferred. That's, that's an important starting building block. What DeFi has really become, and it's sort of grown up on the Ethereum ecosystem more than anywhere else, which is where this like $6.55 billion today of value is currently locked, um, is using uh, the ability to build decentralized applications um, that can repurpose crypto assets as financial products. So if you think of like, options trading or loans or derivatives or um, exchanging, like being able to swap one thing for another. All of that is fundamentally driven by assets and and settlement. Um, so settlement is often in cash um, and the assets are like what people were interested in doing. And so what DeFi has done is it's gone, right, we've got all of these assets that were created, many in 2017, like the, the, the ICO boom in 2017 created a legacy of around, you know, $100 billion of assets, give or take, that are out there, not including Bitcoin and the stuff that came before, right? Because Bitcoin's still 50% of assets by value or more. Um, but that all of those assets were created in 2017. And now people are starting to go, well, we can take these assets and we can take your Brave tokens or we can take your ETH or we can take the sort of other stuff that was created then and we can repurpose them like for MakerDAO into stable coins. And this is is a financial product underpinning it because the way that MakerDAO works, for example, is you have a a collateralization contract where I have to put in more assets than I'm going to take out underlying. So I've got $100 of ETH, the, 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 the currency, cryptocurrency of Ethereum. I put it into a MakerDAO contract and I get out $50 of DAI, which is tradable on the market one-to-one for dollar. So one dollar, one DAI is worth one dollar. So I've, I've turned 100 dollars of ETH into $50 of DAI. Why would I want to do that, right? <laughs> yeah. The reason is, is that I haven't actually sold the Ethereum. So like it's, it ends up being this amazing way of being able to cash out, but still have upside. 
Like I can go and I can put my Ethereum in there. I think it's going to go up from here. I'd like to take some money off the table, but if it goes up, great. I can take more money off the table, but I'm not selling my position. And the other side of that is stable coins, the ability to have a stable um, representation of value that the market represents has been a really big challenge for crypto. A lot of the times because people are like, don't like non-decentralized things like and there's for good reason like tether has got a lot of problems regulatorily speaking but still got 12 billion dollars under management but got a lot of problems regulatory speaking and like we're getting better at creating stable coins in a centralized manner where you have a custodian who is then responsible for holding them but a lot of the belief the underlying reasons that people like crypto is because of this trustless decentralized nature so that's, a, that's an interesting point there that like in w- who the people are that like the decentralized nature of this so who is DeFi for because everything you've described sounds like quite complex financial products structures mm. um but crypto for the last you know three four years or longer i guess 10 years has been a very retail driven phenomenon Mm. so now you've got this crossroads of some very smart people coming in and creating some very sophisticated you know financial products uh and are they selling them to retail users i mean my my only sort of experience on on DeFi is very recent Mm. and it hasn't been a very favorable uh so there's there's, there's, there's two sides to DeFi, right which is uh the market maker side and the utility side. And the market maker side drives the liquidity. And liquidity is king. That's fundamentally what drives the, the, the global financial industry. And so what DeFi is doing for the everyday person is creating a better user experience for crypto. Like I can, I can on Uniswap, I can sw- swap something instantly via my MetaMask browser without having to log into anything. I just, I just go on a web page and I can swap from Ethereum to basic attention token to synthetics to whatever. If I want to get a loan out against something, there's now millions and millions and millions of dollars of collateral. I can take a loan out instantly. If I want to do all of those things as a consumer, my experience of doing that's really, really great. And so you're seeing things like Argent and Monolith and all of these applications that are creating banking-like experiences for the consumer without actually having banks. But then there's this other side of DeFi, which is really complicated, like liquidity mining and and incentivized liquidity pools and moving moving assets around between decentralized finance applications to optimize the yield that you get as, as a return on doing that. That's all a game for the sophisticated whales within DeFi. But fundamentally, as long as it doesn't break the underlying ledger, which it is at the moment, right? <laughs> it is breaking Ethereum, which is the problem, yeah. right? It is meaning that retail client people are actually paying like ridiculous fees for just using the ledger. But as long as that doesn't happen, those two should be symmetrical. And like there there are, there is, there's echoes of what happens in the existing financial market. Like people go and get mortgages, but they don't know what the liquidity markets that exist behind mortgages are. And yes, there is moral hazard there. That's what, like how the mortgage backed securities sort of things blew up. And yeah, exactly. But like, Though those two those two ends of the market do feed each other, like better liquidity creates better pricing and better and better products for consumers and com- competition between those products. So, like the fact that Aave and Compound are competing means that better products are being created in theory. But 
it also does mean that there's all of this like deep complexity and there are lots of things that consumers shouldn't be buying um, because it, it is it is complex and wild west and very very difficult to parse often what is a legitimate project and what is an illegitimate project because there's just so much noise in crypto it just it, it's the noisiest fastest moving industry i've ever been in so that's a good point let's let's take a step back before you were even in in crypto because you, you had quite a vibrant career before that across consumer electronics investment banking law even so what what attracted you to defi what what made you like what did you see in the first instance and go this works but we can make it work better so i mean it started with crypto like it didn't start with defi like i i, I got into i got into crypto like in 2014 2015 and defi wasn't really a thing then the reason that I view DeFi as being product market fit, as it, it being the, it, it is the killer application for public ledger technology. It's the killer application for crypto platforms because it answers three really important and difficult questions that most applications on public ledgers don't, which is firstly, what application can take a relatively expensive cost of operation? Like, I get it, like, scalable platforms like Radix and all these other platforms should bring down the transaction fee. But if you compare using a highly redundant distributed system versus just standing up on a server, you, you're always going to be more expensive in that highly redundant distributed system. So you have to have something that can take a relatively high cost of operation, a, an application that can have a relatively high cost of operation, like DeFi answers that question. DeFi, every operation is dealing with money and often quite large amounts of money. So a transaction fee of even like $80 in, in moving large amounts around is okay. You know, it'd be better if it was a dollar or a cent, right? Like it would be on Radix. But fundamentally, like it can take that. But you talk about Twitter and you say, oh, it's going to cost you even a tenth of a cent to tweet or a hundredth of a cent to tweet. That starts to be quite expensive from the point of view of the amount of volume that goes to Twitter and someone's got to foot that bill. Might not be a terrible thing, though. <laughs> Can you Some of the tweets out there, especially in crypto Twitter, if you had to pay to tweet, the volume would just drop. That would clear out some of the noise. <laughs> the 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 second question that it, that it has to answer for product market fit on public ledgers is... What application has a network has network effects from other applications synergies on top of that ledger? I.e., that two applications serving the same market seg segment is gr has greater value than any one of them individually, and like that's DeFi. Like the ability for me to move a standardized form of assets between different financial products built by different teams that coexist and accentuate each other, like that is finance. Like being able to go from a lending market to a to a exchange to a derivatives market and do it instantaneously. That is hugely beneficial. And that's when that's when product market fit, that's when the the, the spike started to happen. When things like Uniswap reached maturity and you started to be able to stitch together different applications on top of the ledger, that was that was really only in the middle of this year. And that, that started spinning uh, like massively spiking. And then the third question is like total addressable market. 
an application that has a total addressable market that fits that that answers those other two questions strongly. So what fundamentally can take a high cost of operation? What benefits from other applications synergistically on the same ledger? And what has a massive total addressable market? Like DeFi really is the only thing I've come across that truly answers those three things. And that's why DeFi is where we think product market fit is for these ledgers. So what's holding it back at the moment, um, aside from just its uh, maturity, I guess, because it's, it's still so new? Um, what are some of the barriers that, that you see in the next, well, immediately and then, you know, six months a year or five years from now? And what, what would get in the way of DeFi uh, replacing some of the legacy financial s- uh, services system or even, you know, competing as a, as a secondary? Sure. So the, 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 the biggest thing that's standing in its way at the moment is, is, is a technology problem. Like Ethereum is groaning under the weight of all of the transactions that are happening and as more and more people are coming in and competing in each block you're getting massively high transaction fees that is making it expensive for developers to issue their new applications it's making it expensive for users to use things and it's basically becoming a competition to use the ledger when the ledger should just be facilitating a, be a, a facilitating platform for anyone to come along and be able to innovate and that's not what's happening now and the really big problem is that all of the solutions that are coming down the road were the solutions to the problems we had in 2000, 2017. Like, 2017... All that long ago. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> like decades in crypto time, <laughs> but yeah, three years ago. Um, but like, 2017, we had the same problem on Ethereum. But the problem was user-to-application interaction. So I need to scale transactions between users and applications. DeFi, the problem is application-to-application interaction. And all of the solutions that are that were built, that are being built, like Ethereum 2.0, Cosmos, Polkadot, um, Avalanche, all of these are fundamentally going, well, it's still a user-to-application problem, and it's not. It's an application-to-application problem. Like, users are an important component of that, but users want to be able to call several applications at the same time. And what the solution these these, these technology providers are going down is, is sharding and putting the applications on different shards, which makes it very, very difficult for them to talk to each other in a synchronous fashion. Um, and that And that breaks these fundamental composability, the fundamental composability of DeFi. So the big problem we have right now in the industry is the technology is balked and it doesn't work because it's groaning under its own success. And the solutions to solving the problem don't actually solve the problem for DeFi. Mm. They solve it for other things, but they don't solve it for DeFi. So, I mean, talk to me a little bit about Radix then and why that the, the layer one that you're building there solves the scalability and the composability issues? Sure. So the composability just means um, that you can call two things at once and that either they both succeed or they both fail. So if one of them fails, you want the other one to fail. Really simple example of this in the financial industry was I want a loan agreement. Let's say I'm getting a Swiss loan agreement and I want a currency swap. Because I don't actually want to borrow in Swiss francs. It's just they a better rate in Switzerland. Um, I want to borrow. I want to pay back in sterling. Now I don't want the loan agreement if I can't get the swap agreement, and I don't want the swap agreement if I can't get the loan agreement. I want those two atomically happen. Now legally, that's easy. You set up a data room. You sign everything at the same time. It's all it's all good and it's done. But from the point of view of a a non ledger transaction where these transactions happen a lot lot faster. 
it's difficult because a lot of the time the liquidity being moved between uh, DeFi, what I was talking about is the back end, the complex bit that actually makes this all function and means that transaction volumes are high and means that liquidity is good, needs to happen inside a single block. So I need to be able to call compound and Uniswap at the same time in the same block and have both execute or neither execute. What I don't want to do is get something from compound, wait a block and carry that risk and then the thing that I was trying to do in Uniswap fail because it's gone in the while I was waiting to get the thing from Compound, and that fundamentally breaks the the, the this fabric of what is driving liquidity in DeFi. And the reason that scaling uh, that sharding solutions apart from Radix do this is because they require asynchronicity. So if I have Compound on one shard and I have uh, Uniswap on another shard, I have to confirm it on this shard then pass it across via the uh, via the beacon chain on Ethereum, uh, parachain on, on Polkadot, and you know the interchain blockchain protocol on, on, on Cosmos to the, the shard that has got Uniswap on. And by that point, the opportunity has probably got, right? What Radix does with our consensus and our execution environment is we allow things to be both synchronous and asynchronous. And this is this is this is fundam a fundamentally difficult thing to do, but what we do is we allow calls that need to happen across multiple applications on multiple shards to happen synchronously so that you can call, even though they're on different shards, a compound application and a Uniswap application and have them all succeed or all fail at the same time. And the way we've done that is by allow by paralyzing consensus. So we don't it's not a blockchain. Instead of a single sequence of events, all events happen in parallel unless they're connected. If they're connected, then they are absolutely ordered versus each other. But if you're sending something, if you're on the same shard that the compound application is that I'm trying to compose with the Uniswap application, and you're trying to send you know, transaction to your mum, that goes that goes ahead asynchronously, asynchronously versus my transaction because they aren't related operations. It's only related operations that occur. That required that insight required a fundamental building up from the bottom to the top of how we do consensus, how we do uh, execution, how you build decentralized finance on top of Radix. So we also realized that there was a number of other things that we could solve as well. One of the really important things being security. So I can talk about that as well, but like just so you can go back on the uh, scalability point. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess one of my questions, like a layer one protocol sort of, I guess in a in a DeFi way or even in an Ethereum kind of way, they, they live or die on being able to build on top of them. And what you've described that, that you've built there is extremely complicated. There must be a very small pool of people who can build on top of that. And I know, I don't know if you guys have talked about it before. Um, I'm not sure where, I think I saw you speak about it before somewhere that um, you have to have that community that can build on it, but it has to be of a su sufficient complexity that there aren't the security risks, but sufficient uh, like openness that anyone can build on it, right? So how do you, how do you uh, reconcile that, right? Sure, sure. As a, it's a really interesting question. So if you look at the way that, communities grow up around technology the most important early contributors are individual developers not big companies that come along they come along later and they come along because individual developers come along and build the tools that 
make it viable to use for like in bigger applications because they just they're like oh it'd be really great if this thing exists so i'll just make this widget or i'll just make this library and that's what happened on ethereum like things like the erc20 standard things like the erc721 standard things like open zeppelin like have emerged but the starting point was just individual developers going coming along and being like this is really cool i can do some things that i couldn't do before i want to try it out and that tooling created the environment that people could come along today and build relatively complicated financial applications what we realized though is that those developers don't really have any incentivization in current ledgers um and on radix the way you build is via something called components so it's a there's an it's a level of extra abstraction to what solidity is so in solidity you have a black box you put your own code in it. Solid, sorry, just Solidity being the, the programming language of Ethereum. Ethereum right? That's right. Okay. That's right. So in currently on top of blockchains, what happens is I, ha I have a black box called a VM, a virtual machine, and I write a load of code and I put it in that black box and that black box executes all on its own, right? But if I write, if I do any bugs in any of that code, then the code fails and you get hacks and you get things like that. And, and unfortunately, the way that Solidity, the, the coding environment for Ethereum is written, is very, very not suitable for building secure financial applications. That's why we continually get hacks on Ethereum. And that's why code audit is such an important part of the Ethereum ecosystem, you know, spending a few hundred thousand to a million to a million dollars on a, a bunch of code audits not unheard of. What Radix does for this is the components are like little libraries, little subtasks. So instead of it being a full decentralized application, it might just be the maths for doing a continuous function market maker. Or the it sounds a bit like, like a GitHub kind of. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like it, it, it works almost identically to Git apart from every time someone uses your component, you get paid a royalty. So what this does is it incentivizes people to build the components that make it easy to build decentralized finance. And you create a self-perpetuating, self-reinforcing, incentivized marketplace. The people who want to build decentralized finance are looking for the best tools and the easiest route to market. And the people who are building the components are looking for people to come and use them. So they want to facilitate that goal. And this is how we're building our grassroots community. It sounds like such a simple concept the way you incentivize the developers, it, it almost boggles my mind this hasn't been done. Like, I can't think of a, a parallel in, you know, tech or a, anywhere where this is the way that developers work. Right. No, it's true. And I think that the reason that it hasn't been done so far is because people hadn't yet, like, it's obvious in retrospect when you look at it, but, like, the code, a, a code base and a financial system coexisting means that it's very easy if the code base is is on ledger and the ability to use components of that code base is on ledger to be able to compose applications you can also allow royalties to flow as well like that's one of those things when you're you're like oh of course it's it's a it's a ledger of money of course you can do that it's a ledger of code of course you can do that but yeah it took us a while to come to that i guess the nearest kind of thing i can think of is you know 10 years ago using Adobe Photoshop on the startup screen, you get that square and they list, it's almost like the end of a film where they have a, a cast of, you know, who's contributed to it. But I think I probably prefer the royalties, <laughs> especially on something like Photoshop. Um, no, that, that's really interesting. Um, so what, what's immediately ahead for Radix? 
Um, I know you've got a token, I think. Yeah, we've got a token Tell me coming. a bit more about that. I shouldn't say I think. I know you've got a token coming. <laughs> uh, full disclosure, <laughs> we're providing some of the infrastructure for it. Um, you guys are having a token, right? <laughs> Tell yeah. me more about that. Uh, yeah, so um, the the we're, we're taking the approach slightly differently. Like, we are a new layer one, but we appreciate that we are coming relatively um, late in inverted commas to the party, right? Like the, the, the crypto industry is still a new industry when we look back at it in 40 years, but right now it feels like it's been around for a long time, you know? Um, so the, the majority of the, the crypto industry and the DeFi industry that we care about exist on Ethereum. We also want to make sure that our ledger is as secure as possible by decentralizing the stake because it's a proof of stake ledger. So what we decided is we would first issue an ERC20 token into the Ethereum ecosystem so that we could start to build our community there. We could start to build holdings of the token to decentralize the stake for the subsequent release of the network and make sure that the network was really decentralized and secure when it subsequently went live. And so what's the ambition then when the network goes live? Is there uh, a number of you know, projects or applications that you expect to see immediate? Is there like, what's the, the growth model look like? Yeah. So there's, there's sort of two approaches to this. Like we have a number of, we have a number of people that want to build immediately on, on Radix. Um, but there's also this other side of things where you want to make sure that the network has a chance to mature from a security point of view. Um, that means that you don't want hundreds of millions of, dollars of value going immediately onto a network you kind of want it to grow naturally and 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 in line with the security and uh, and decentralization of the network it sounds far too responsible for crypto <laughs> but like well this is what we're trying to do we're trying yeah. to make a safe <laughs> a safer way of building DeFi, a safer ledger for doing that adulting like, in crypto <laughs> and, and and that and that does take some time yeah. so yeah we've got like we've got um some pretty decent partners lined up um but we, we will see how it goes like the other the other thing that's really important is that fundamental community around incentivized building blocks and like giving people an opportunity to be there first and try things out and like and 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 that time to understand the technology and, and get used to it because what everyone is doing is continually rushing. Like we've had Solidity, the language that you program on Ethereum, for a lot longer than I think that they ever thought it would be the dominant language. Um, and it it's really difficult to explain quite how problematic it is from the point of view of security for building financial applications. Um, but like starting again and going, this is how you should build financial applications that ultimately is more secure and easier to build, but you're starting from a base where there isn't all of that tooling there. You need to build that community up at the start. That is that that that's a that's a longer journey. That requires more more time and investment and concentration. So we're not rushing it, but that when when do we invite you back for the update? What's what's our timeline? So, you know, like the as you know, crypto is completely the to, the the tokens and the the tokens and the project often seem to be separate things at times. Um, so you know when the ERC twenty is launched, I'd love to come back and and talk about how we're working in the DeFi ecosystem with 
with the Ethereum community. Um, and then when the when the when the mainnet launches next year again, like it's going to be really interesting to see how the DeFi ecosystem has changed and evolved because it's changing so quickly right yeah. now. Yeah, I mean, we haven't even really touched on governance or regulations. I mean, that might be a topic for, for right. the next one. Right. Um, look, this has been really fascinating. Um, very technical. I think I'm going to have to get a dictionary out for some of these bits. Um, but thank you for coming in. We've got a few questions that we ask everyone. So the first one is, where do you see the industry in one year versus 10 years? And if you want to be, you can be specific about DeFi or you can talk about crypto writ, writ large. So um, we are going to have a, we're in at the start of a, uh, of a bull run. Um, and in a year's time, we'll be coming to the, to the end of the bull run. So I think that there will be a lot of lessons learned uh, over the next year. It's going to be a very exciting time. Um and then there's going to be a, a retrenchment um, similar to what happened between 2018 and 2020, 2020 uh, or 2018, 2019, um, which was a consolidation of projects and a, uh, a sort of an, a, an assessment on what was important and what wasn't, like what, what actually had value and what didn't. Um, I think right now in DeFi, there's already signs of things that don't really have much intrinsic value, like just being pushed... Uh, pushed out into the ecosystem because um, it allows people to to experiment in a way that looks very close to gambling at times, <laughs> right? Um, it's 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 sort of an insane industry, and it goes through these cycles. Um, so in one year, I think. The, we, we're $250 billion industry now, or we're probably bigger than that now, but the last time I looked. Um, I, would, I would be surprised if we weren't well over a trillion dollars, but I think that we're going to go well, well above a trillion dollars. I think we'll probably hit maybe five trillion. That's your one-year forecast, That's not your 10-year. One year. One-year forecast okay. is it will hit five trillion, it will come back down to a trillion. Um, I like that. But... I I think that there's also going to be you know a lot of like a lot of hard lessons that are learned like security is continually be going to like security the the un insecurity of these ledgers in the way we build is going to continually be learned lesson and the fundamental um, issue of scalability is going to continue to be learned um, so that's my one year forecast my ten year forecast. So I think that this run is not a consumer revolution. It's still a insider baseball, like it's still the crypto audience. Mm -hmm. And like it's sucking more people in, right? But they're the kind of people who are crypto curious and in finance or, or like it's 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 pulling more hedge funds in. It's pulling more like People who understand money and understand still the training. early adopters. Still the early adopters, and it's the early adopters who are like seeking alpha. Mm. So you're really like aggressive hedge funds are like pumping uh, are are really coming into crypto now, um, which uh, you know like we like them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> big part of your customer base, yeah. <laughs> um, and like that's 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 because they understand these financial products and they understand the market. I think that in ten years' time. My prediction is you will have legitimate consumer products, financial products on crypto, on, on, on public ledgers, on Radix, where you can do things like 
get out, take out a mortgage, where you can do things, get a line of credit, where you can do things like move money around the world. Um, and you can do things like save uh, in ways that are fundamentally secure. Like, I think that insurance is like the the thing that people are talking about this time. But I actually don't think insurance is there yet. I think insurance is going to be another two years before it starts to make sense in, like, properly sense in the industry and isn't just, like, a few... Like, there's some great companies doing it. Nexus Mutual, uh, like, Quantstamp. Like, there's people who are trying to do insurance for smart contracts and are doing a great job, but it's not, like, fundamentally embedded into the system yet. It hasn't really been tested yet, and I think that you probably have to have that happen. To oh, learn it has. No, no, no. There's been, yeah. there's been payouts. So Nexus Mutual paid out on the DYDX hack, um, and they uh, and they they continue to insure things. So like, it's working. I just think that, that it's not s- systemic insurance. So like things like FDIC insured, right? Like there's going to be some crypto equivalent to that that gives people assurances that if I'm saving my money, my life savings on Ledger there's probably a decent amount of security behind there. And like people are looking at things like the die savings rate and stuff like that as being a good starting point. But I still don't think we're there for like consumer consumer. So 10 years, I'd say you're, you're, you're going to see mortgages, consumer mortgages on ledger. Fascinating. If you could change one thing about the industry right now, what would you change? If I could change one thing about the industry right now. What would I change? Scams? Yeah. <laughs> just remove all the scams. Like. I, it's I, a common sentiment. I, I, we've asked a few people that and people it's like, just get rid of the dross that's, you know, giving the reputation, a bad reputation to the industry. Yeah. I, th- I think there's, and, and often it's very difficult to separate between the two. Like a company that legitimately raises money, tries to do something and fails and a, and a, and a honest to God scam um can can be very difficult to determine between the two but like just get rid of the scams like it ju- it's just so much easier to do scams on on uh, on on top of crypto than almost any other scenario and like so much harder to enforce once it's happened okay, what is one piece of technology you couldn't live without I mean, the mobile phone's an obvious one, but I feel like I, I feel like that's a boring one. One piece of technology I couldn't live without, the shower. Hmm. Old school tech. Yeah. Unless you've got some fancy shower. No, just, a, just like, just a wonderful part of the morning. Okay. Um, what do you do on your weekend when you get time off, if you get time off? I don't know, as a CEO of Radix, if you get time off, but uh, how do you unwind? <laughs> I, I have a daughter um, and uh, me and my wife, Try and spend as much time with her as we can on the weekends, um, which is lovely. What's one movie you could watch over and over again and never get tired of? None. I have an incredible memory for movies. And once you've seen it, you never want to see it again? No, I I can watch movies like once every 10 years, but I can literally (laughs) quote movies that I've watched 20 years ago. Like, so like watching movies again and again is... Not appealing. Mind-numbingly boring (laughs) for me. Okay. Um, Do you have any catchphrases that you, you live by or mottos? Uh, yeah, um, uh, I would say the most important for me is strong opinions weekly held. So like, or strong beliefs weekly held. You have to, you as a CEO or a leader or anyone who is forging forwards in unknown territory, 
you have to have to live in this meta stable state of this is absolutely the right way to go until you get some more new information and then oh no let me reassess and there's a threshold at which you then decide to change direction um and the the only way you can succeed is by being able to listen to other people by being able to like actually work through your own beliefs and and check them for for errors and make sure you're constantly doing that um it's probably something that's sorely missing from our public discourse in general but also not holding like allowing people to change their mind as well right and not casting judgment too soon or I, i think that is fundamentally a problem it's like once you've said you're going to do something and people then get angry if you change your mind it's like well we changed mind because there's good reason to um new information, new, new, whatever. The other thing that I think is, um, sort of core, like so a saying that I say, a, I, that I said a lot at the start of, um, my journey in Radix was immutable technology can't be built by immutable people. Mm. I like, this is like a, a custom, custom saying. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Is it tattooed anywhere on no, you? No, it's not. <laughs> okay. But it's a, it's a similar idea. It's like at the level of technology, when it and it's it same as like strong opinions weekly held but like or strong opinions loosely held um it's you can't believe that you are the only person who has the right ideas for how to build something um and immutable technology is a critical system it has higher thresholds for security and for um, how it actually works for the user than almost any other type of system because it's immutable. I mean, like it's in the name. So you, if you are, if you are completely set in your ways and you don't believe anyone else can come up with better ideas than you, that you should then incorporate in your technology, then you're fundamentally not going to succeed. Who should we all follow on Twitter? Uh, Elon Musk. Okay. And a shameless self plug. <laughs> oh, and and obviously me. Okay. Uh, everyone should follow me. Okay, so uh, who should everyone follow on Twitter? I mean, if you're interested in crypto, uh, definitely follow the Radix um, uh, Twitter. It's uh, at Radix DLT. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Piers Ridyard. Um, and then uh, crypto Twitter is its own place. Um, there's a lot going on there. There's a lot of strong opinions. Uh, it's an strongly held. <laughs> a lot of strong opinions, strongly held. A lot of Bitcoin maximalists. There's yeah. the emerging class of Ethereum maximalists. Um, it's uh, so yeah. It's a fun place to dive into. Okay. Uh, what was the last thing that surprised you? Uh, I'm reading a book at the moment. Is that another question? Which what book are you nope, currently that's reading? It, this, okay. is a, this is our last question. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm reading a book at the moment called Why We Sleep. Ah, yeah. Uh, which apparently you guys did for a book club. That was in our book club early days. Yeah. Did you read it? Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's so um, I, uh, it surprised me quite how important sleep is um, and uh, how important it is to get enough of it um, to everything. I, I think I was surprised by how much we don't know about it. Yeah. And even what they do know about it now is complex and, you know, interesting. And then they're like, we understand 10% of this. <laughs> it's just really <laughs> fascinating. So, so sleep... And how important it is. And like the fact I think that that surprised me the most was that um, less than six six hours or less of sleep a night 
for five nights has the same effect on you as not sleeping for a night, which has the same effect on you as being over the legal alcohol limit, which is a 400% reduction in mental capacity. So not sleeping every night for a week, just six hours, leaves you at the end of the week with the with mental capacity 400% lower than it should be. And that two days over the weekend is not sufficient time with eight hours sleep to recover. Like, that was insane. I was like, wow. Especially when you spend that weekend having a few drinks and getting over the alcohol limit. Right, right. <laughs> so you're right. just compounding the errors at that point. Right. Yeah. So the, the, the surprising thing I learned recently was how important sleep was. Get a good night's sleep. Okay, cool. Piers, thank you so much for coming in. This has been... Truly fascinating. Uh, and we look forward to having you back. Great. Thank you very much, Tyler. To our listeners, if you haven't already seen Piers' show and tell video, please go to our YouTube page or you can find it on Twitter at CopperHQ or find it on the website, copper.co forward slash insights. There you can also sign up for our newsletter, which goes out every Monday morning and includes links to all the week's top stories, as well as any updates from the wider team here at Copper. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please make sure to give us a good review in whichever streaming platform you're using. And of course, subscribe. If you want to get in touch with me, you can always reach me, Tyler, on Twitter at CryptoTSK, or you can email me directly, tyler.kenyon at copper.co. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, or if you know someone who should be, give us a shout. We're always here to talk things institutional crypto. This show is only made possible because of the technical and creative wizardry of Ben Silvertown, with support from Maylee Mountfort and Eva Lila. New episodes come out fortnightly, and in the meantime, stay safe.